The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and I'm joined with Sierra and Matthew. And today, our guest is Charles Shelton, lead research scientist, Bosch Research and Technology Center. And I should say, Charles Shelton, PhD, <laughs> Dr. Charles Shelton. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks. You knew me when I wasn't a doctor. You, you just call me Charles. <laughs> Big C. Big C. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on. I, I'm a little under the weather. I hope everyone else is feeling good today. I'm feeling great. You actually sound really good. Um, no, I, I can hear you're sick. <laughs> I feel congested and scratchy. Matthew's in your corner today, as you but, can see. Uh, yeah. He can hear he, the sick. He, see, I never get sick. I have a, a teacher immune system, so it's. <laughs> I'm usually pretty good, but like once a year, I'll, it'll hit me. And but I, I got my water like Matthew recommended, so if I feel. I that, think something's going around. A lot of people have been getting. Sick. Yeah, so. the weather is changing here in Houston. It's probably been cold for a while where where Big C is, but it just got <laughs> it just dropped to like seventy. <laughs> oh no, seventy degrees! Oh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, we're living the dream. Look, and it's supposed to get down to the fifties today. I mean, pull out those sweaters and your UGG boots. <laughs> See, I just assume that it was never cold in the South, and so I'm getting this rude awakening right now. <laughs> and it's hilarious because you'll see like kids, like parents dropping off their kids at school and they'll have like full on earmuffs and scarves. And it really yes. is only like 65 degrees. <laughs> it's freezing. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> We're spoiled down here. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Although I, I, I think I probably wouldn't trade like the tornadoes and hurricanes and floods. Those We don't get a lot of those up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Yeah, but at this point, we're like, yeah, we know it's coming. There's, there's a nice meme of someone like underwater and they're like, thumbs up. They're like, yeah, it's all good. We're good. We know what we're doing. <laughs> so, Charles, tell us, tell us your life story. <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us, you know, how you came to be uh, a research scientist and like, you know, why, why you wanted to do that. Well, I mean, I was always interested in technology since I was real little. Um, I think my seventh birthday, I got an Atari 2600 for my birthday. So that was, that, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm old if, <laughs> you know, if, if, if that didn't clue everyone in. So, um, you know, uh, video games have always been part of my life. Uh, that is what got me into computers as video games was the gateway drug. And then uh, I got interested in computers. Um, my uh, my father was a school teacher, or he's still well. He he's retired now, but he's he was a school teacher for a long time. And during the summer, the they would give their computers uh, to the teachers to take home for the summer because they didn't want them uh, stuck stuck in the in the school, you know, potentially being a, a, you know a target for theft. So I you know I, we didn't have our own computer, but my dad brought home an Apple IIe computer every summer and set it up in my room like the my parents were were not computer literate so they really had no idea what to do with it so I said okay you can you can have it play with it do whatever you want with it and so uh you know that was uh I got to play with it every summer 
in addition to just you know getting lots of games, figuring out how to how to make games run on the on the computer, also just learning that basic programming language and figuring out what that was and how to uh, how to make that make the computer do different things. And that always was uh, that just lit a fire in me that this was I knew this was what I wanted to do. Like technology was uh, was what I wanted to do with my life since since I was that young. I didn't really know what I could do with technology, but I just knew I wanted to be a part of that. So, um, you know, as I went through school, I was uh, I was I was a pretty good student. So, uh, you know, I got good grades and was able to, um, you know, to really have some options when I was applying for colleges. Uh, and then uh, uh, I think I, I forget, uh, like one of my parents heard something about the Meyerhoff program because it wasn't the Meyerhoff program was not a big thing in Philadelphia, where where I'm from. Uh, it was a big thing down in Maryland, Baltimore, D.C. area. I think everyone knew about the Meyerhoff program down there if you're in high school and, and were interested in technology. But it was something that I had I was not really familiar with. But we took a drive down. It was, you know, two hour drive down to Maryland, met with Mrs. Baker uh, and got some information about the program. This was, you know, my, my early in my senior year before I started applying. And, you know, her her pitch really got me interested in applying to the Meyerhoff program. And of course, I think there from there the rest is history. Like the Meyerhoff program was was big on getting uh, black people, black students into uh, higher degrees, particularly PhDs into PhD programs. Uh, where I was not really thinking about you know being a research scientist or, or getting a higher degree. I was I was focused on college, but not really what comes after. And there was a lot of emphasis on that in the Meyerhoff program, and so that really uh opened my eyes to what what i could do with a an advanced degree and and that there was an advanced degree out there so uh the meyerhoff program gave me a lot of support uh jenny i know you're familiar with the meyerhoff program yeah since that's where we met and uh yeah um so after that went to um applied to graduate school at carnegie mellon university and uh spent five years at carnegie mellon getting my master's and phd in computer engineering and then uh, got a job at Bosch. Uh, so Bosch is a is a large multinational corporation. It's based in Germany. They're a huge um, supplier, automotive supplier. They make a lot of different components for automobiles. They also do things like uh, building security systems, appliances, power tools, uh, industrial automation. So lots of different things. Uh, and they are really focused on technology deployed in like in real life. So I would say kind of the opposite of what Amazon, Google, or Microsoft do in terms of, you know, just working on computer systems and then computer systems have slowly invaded everything else. They came from the opposite end where they were always making different things that went into other things and slowly computer technology became the bread and butter of everything that that is now in technology. You know, every, every basically everything these days has uh, has computers and software in it somewhere. And so everything that Bosch makes now has computer technology and very quickly is getting more AI technology uh, in those systems. So, yeah, that's why I can't buy a car right now, because uh, I can't get <laughs> I can't get a chip for a new car. So <laughs> everything's got everything's got technology. Sorry. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> no, that that that's very true. I mean, a, a car, a car is basically a rolling computer network. I mean, it's got there's, you know. Basically, it's, it's hundreds of, uh, of network nodes all communicating together and, and everything is, is managed by software. So that, that's part of the, I, I always try to, to, to tell people, you know, your, your computer systems, it's really important to make sure your computer systems are reliable and dependable. And, uh, you know, if, you're, if, if you're, your life depends on a lot of computer systems these days, I mean, not just automobiles, airplanes, uh, you know, security systems, everything. And, um, you know, if, if your if your phone crashes or your laptop crashes, you just restart it. No problem. Right. I mean, you can't restart your braking system if you're about to crash into the car in front of you. So, I mean, these systems really uh, have to have to be reliable, dependable. And also they have to be able to fail in ways that are that they're still going to um, they're going to provide that minimum level of safety so that you can survive. <laughs> so. Yeah. So what what's your area of expertise now? What, what what's uh... What have you been working on? So uh, I've I've had a yeah I've I've been with Bosch for uh, over eighteen years now. So I've done 
a lot of things in, in different technology. I started off uh, really focused on embedded systems. Uh, so all these computer systems that are inside other things, inside other components. You know, in the in the last uh, you know 10 or 15 years, that has really merged with the internet space. So now the the big buzzword is Internet of Things, uh, where you know when I when I was coming up, it was embedded systems, and then embedded systems combined with the internet, and then that became Internet of Things. So that's really um, my focus is on you know it's n not enough to just design computer systems and software so that they uh, that they you know just just work correctly you really have to worry about the constraints in terms of what kinds of components they have what uh, you know how much how much they're going to cost and then what what kind of resources they have because you can't really put your, the latest uh, intel chip or, or gpu into your toaster or your refrigerator it's not it's not cost effective you know you can't you can't run the the latest uh, um you know intel core i7 on your refrigerator cuz that then that you know adds about uh you know another $500 cost to the refrigerator and no one was going to buy it so you really have to uh, be cognizant of what resources you have and then make your system and your software work with those resources uh and that gets even further uh difficult with now the introduction of artificial intelligence and having that being so prolific now. Uh, so now my my focus has shifted to not just Internet of Things, but the intersection of Internet of Things and AI and how we get AI systems running reliably on these smaller, low power devices that are running, uh, you know, close to the user, not in those big data sensor centers uh, that where, you know, a lot of the algorithms are, are originally developed and run. Awesome. Can you compare your undergrad to your uh, higher education? How does that compare? So my undergrad was, I felt like, so, uh, you know, I went to uh, UMBC. That's uh, where the Meyerhoff program was based. Uh, although UMBC is not an HBCU, I feel like we got the experience of an HBCU with the, with the Meyerhoff program and, the, and with a lot of the representation that was there. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, support for African-American students in particular and uh, and all marginalized students uh, on the campus there. Uh, Dr. Rabowski uh, is, you know, was was president. He's still president at UMBC, about to retire, but has has always made it his mission uh, to ensure that uh, diversity and inclusion is, is a priority at UMBC. So I really felt like that was a that was a core component of my yeah, undergrad and, experience. And no, Dr. Rabowski is a black man. That was president yeah, yes, of the University yes. of Maryland, Baltimore <laughs> County. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, in addition to the uh, the high quality education and the um, just the so the support and the just having you know that experience and having and and having that support network and everything, I, I thought that was really key to my undergrad experience. And uh, my graduate experience was a little bit more, I would say isolated i mean i'd, I'd say uh there were you know there were far fewer uh, uh african americans at carnegie mellon university uh, i did i did find uh you know many there you know to uh to connect with and network with uh but it was definitely a, a different experience in terms of it was a, it's a much more uh kind of independent experience uh where i didn't feel that same support network that i had in undergrad uh, but I think that that my undergrad experience really did prepare me for the uh, for the graduate experience and and give me all the tools that I needed to be successful, and uh, and I really am appreciative of of UMBC and the Meyerhoff program for for putting me on that path. Yeah. Awesome. So you talked a little bit earlier about um, you weren't really thinking about what comes after college. So you, you do your undergrad career, you get your PhD. How did you kind of, you know, what was your journey like after that? Had you decided, you know, during your graduate program, kind of this is where I want to go? Or did it take a little bit of soul searching after that or trying a few things to kind of find your lane? So my graduate experience exposed me to working a lot with uh, with different companies. So my my faculty advisor had uh, research grants with different companies. Like I did a, a I did a lot of research work with uh, General Motors. Uh, and he also had a grant with uh, with Bosch, which is the company I eventually uh, I eventually joined after I graduated. And with, through those experiences, learning about uh, particularly how uh, computers and software figured into automotive design, automobile design, uh, that at least gave me the the that piqued my interest in terms of 
wanting to work on things where I, I could see the practical application. So not necessarily just the automotive space, but in the space where uh, these computer systems and technology are really going to figure into people's everyday lives and not necessarily, you're not just looking at uh, solving, solving particular academic problems, but you're not really clear on what the, what the practical application is. So in my graduate experience, that kind of pushed me to, to realize that this is what I want to do. I wanted to do applied research. I wanted to focus on problem solving and tying those problems to the real world, uh, you know, trying to see and, and, you know, looking ahead to future technology, but really trying to see how that future technology can fit into the real world. And that's, that's, that put me on that path. And then, um, it was kind of serendipitous, uh, that Bosch had an opening when I was getting ready to graduate. I actually was uh, um, applying with with General Motors because uh, they had a research, they had a, a you know a, a great corporate research division. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean just just by uh, by luck, I was uh, I I was recruited by Bosch. Bosch was still in Pittsburgh and and still has a, a location in Pittsburgh. That's where I'm still based, uh, where Carnegie Mellon is. So I didn't have to move. That was a that was a big incentive. Uh, my wife was pregnant at the time, so uh, you know we were looking for a house and everything. So it kind of things just fell into place uh, for, and I've been really happy at Bosch uh, in terms of the work I've been able to do and the the people I've met and the um, the commitment that Bosch has to uh, you know to not just technology but technology uh, for people and and focusing on uh, on people and their customers. Uh, Bosch is a, a privately held company, so they're not traded on the stock market. So that gives them a little bit of uh, of freedom to be more of a, a responsible corporate citizen rather than kind of driven by quarterly profits. So right. uh, I've uh, you know I've I've had a good experience at Bosch. What's it like being a researcher? Like for someone that's not involved, I, I was just imagine same thing. I was like, <laughs> I want to know what you do. What's a day in the life of? <laughs> Are, are you just like in a white coat in a room, just kind of thinking up ideas or is there like our company will have like a strategy every year and they kick off and they're like, these are the, this is where we want to grow or these, this is the products we want to enhance this year. And they kind of give us direction um, mm -hmm. and to move in that direction. So for, for, for us that, you know, aren't privy to, to the <laughs> being in the room with the researcher, what, what is it like? Like, you know, what is your kind of day to day or, or your, or how does a, idea become a, a product so that, that yeah that's a that's a good question there it's a there's a lot of different tracks as a in within corporate research so there's there's a couple of things where you do have the corporate research uh leadership has a vision of like what future topics are important and that's driven by technology trends so you'll like right now of course ai is big internet of things is big so those are kind of top trends that we're looking at and from that leadership, they will um, they will say, okay, uh, within the research organization, uh, focus on these topics, and then you know, look at look at uh, what are what's relevant for Bosch's current business. So, uh, you know, you'll you'll look ahead and say, okay, what are the, what are um, what are different business units uh, within Bosch working on? Uh, what might be relevant for those for those businesses? And you can you you get a little bit of time to figure out. Uh, some of those, uh, um, you know, s some of those topics on your own. And then you would have to, you know, what if you do find something that's, uh, you know, you can do a small scale study that might be like, uh, I, I want to explore this topic for a month or six weeks, then if, uh, if you get some interesting results, and you can pitch that to become a larger study. Uh, and then that uh, eventually will, uh, you know, get Go become you know a larger activity and then you know a maybe a long scale or a larger scale project. Uh, so that's that's one avenue. Another avenue is that if a business unit within Bosch has a um, has uh, some interesting uh, you know interesting technology that they want to that they want to push or they or they have a customer demand that uh, is uh, coming externally, uh, then they might come to the research organization and say. And say uh, this is a this is something that we feel like is is going to be a, a we need to have a product in this space, but we don't have the um, we don't have the technology yet to do this. Do you have you know do you, is this something that you can focus on for us? And then we can uh, we collaborate with our business unit partners to to look at that technology and then and then develop it further. 
Uh, and this could also happen if the if the business unit sees a technology that we're working on and says, oh, this is something that can be directly relevant for my product. Can you uh, can you tailor this or, or transfer this into my organization so that I can uh, that I can develop it? We also do collaboration with uh, with academic universities. So uh, if if we can partner with academic universities to get uh, uh, grants from government organizations or other or other organizations, that's another way that we can do uh, different research projects. So once we once we have those kinds of projects outlined and we've you know we focus on uh, understanding what what we need to deliver, what kinds of deliverables we want to do, or what kind of goals we want to set, then uh, that allows us to get down into, okay, let's investigate the technology, do some prototypes, develop some initial uh, systems, and then, uh, and then go from there and, and further refine things uh, according to what, the, um, what our customers want, what our partners want. Awesome. What are some of the, your favorite products that you've worked on? <laughs> so uh, it's, I'd say, um, uh, you know, I, maybe I can't, I, I can't say directly what I was going to uh, say, can you even what, tell us <laughs> what, I, what I, I've worked on? But I, I mean, I, I guess um, one, one of the thing one of the things that I, that I'm currently working on that is it's, you know, it's base it's, it's publicity. It's, it's something that's already been in the public space is uh, Bosch has been collaborating with NASA and the international space station. And we have a, a system for doing uh, audio analytics on the international space station. So, NASA has a uh, a robot called Astrobee. This is a, a robot platform where it's a basically a floating uh, cube that has different uh, um, different technology attached to it, uh, and it, it basically runs in the International Space Station. It has uh, air jets on it, so it can it can basically move independently in space through the through the space station. And it also has a um, it's kind of a modular platform where you can plug in different technology to do different kinds of scientific studies. So Bosch, uh, together with another company in Pittsburgh, Astrobotic, developed a um, basically a microphone array for doing uh, for doing high quality audio capture of lots of uh, different frequency ranges. Uh, and this this hardware device plugs into the Astrobe robot and then we can use that to do different uh, audio analysis and, and, and capture data on the space station. Uh, one of the goals is that we we want to use audio and audio AI to detect different problems with uh, when machines are are failing or starting to fail. So think of if you're driving a car and you hear a weird sound in your car and it keeps repeating and you're like, what is that sound? And then you you know you take it into the mechanic and the mechanic has heard a hundred the sound a hundred times, so they can immediately say, oh, it's your you know it's your transmission or something like that. So uh, the the goal for us is is to basically make a system that can do that automatically that can that can listen for different sounds uh in different machines and then understand what's happening to that machine and that's and in the space station in particular it's an important thing because like if there's a leak on the space station where atmosphere is uh is the atmosphere is breached on the space station that can be very dangerous for the astronauts so and the the sound that it makes might not be audible to humans it might be above the range of of human uh what humans can hear and so if we have a high quality uh, equipment that can that can listen for that and then characterize that and, and realize that there's a problem and alert the astronauts that uh, that's an early warning system that can help uh, identify where there's a problem and, and fix it before it becomes a bigger problem. That's so cool. I was just gonna say that's amazing. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, and and so so for Bosch, we see this as a as a thing that, of course, this is important on the space station, but this can also be important here on Earth for uh, for industrial automation and other uh, uh, in factories, uh, other other situations where if you can listen for different sounds and figure out what's going on, that can be something that can that can help people fix problems before they uh, before they become much much worse. Yeah. Or like, and you, if you're up in the middle of the night and you hear a weird sound, and it's something to be like, oh, the cat just knocked over something. No one's, no one's breaking in right now. That would also be helpful. <laughs> I love this. I mean, this is technology for good. Um, I love that. Yeah, it also reminds me of um, like, was it Thor or something where like magic is just technology, like really good technology. <laughs> Because yeah. I mean, being able to detect sounds that you can't even hear and and say, oh no, actually this is how it, this thing that you can't perceive is is affecting your your environment that you're in right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a quote by the the author Arthur C. Clarke that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So yeah, that's a, that's the same idea. Yeah. 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 I think there was a Star Trek episode about that as well. <laughs> um. Nerd alert! Nerd alert! <laughs> <laughs> Everything. No shame. No shame. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately. So <laughs> you also said you you were mentioning that cube, and I was like, like a board cube. <laughs> um, you kind of touched on this earlier about um, Bosch being private and and kind of corporate responsibility. Um, could you kind of talk a little bit more about AI and um, kind of do you have some parameters around which you know, this is technology for good versus not evil, but, you know, things that can be misused. It also seems kind of unheard of. You hear about all the IPO stuff. So I'm really surprised to hear that they're still private. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, in that. Well, well, Bosch is a Bosch is a very old company. So Bosch is uh, was founded and I believe it was 1886 by Robert Bosch. Uh, and it was, it's a German company. It's uh, and he was he had a uh, like when he set up the company uh, at, on on his death, uh, the company is now really run by a charitable found, charitable foundation. So uh, I, I think it's like ninety two percent of the um, of, of the controlling interest of the company is owned by this uh, Bosch charitable foundation in Germany. Uh, so that really um, sets the tone for the the goals of this corporation, where it's you know they they still emphasize profits and and, and being profitable, but the the goal is to maximize those profits to support the charitable organization. So they you know I'm I'm not going to say it's perfect. I'm not going to say that you know there's still people involved. So you know people people can still be corrupted in any organization. But I, I think the goals of the organization and the and uh, and the tone that Bosch sets it from the top uh, really uh, emphasizes this you know corporate responsibility and and uh, making sure that the technology that we develop is uh, is used in responsible ways. Uh, another thing that Bosch does is they do not take any military contracts, uh, so they are you know they don't want to use any of their technology for military applications. So that's another uh, that's another kind of corporate. Um, uh, uh, responsibility uh, edict that they've inst they've instituted as as part of their culture, uh, and so I mean that's uh, it's it's rare that you see that in in a large corporation. I'll, and I will say, and, you know, the fact that it's uh, that it's based in Germany, it's it's not uh, it's you know it's more of a European mindset. So they have a, it's a it's a I think it's a different mindset than the than the kind of younger American co American companies that uh, that are are currently in the tech technology players so i think all those things uh, make th make it a give it a, that particular perspective so yeah most people i think it's what two years two to three years they switch like out of companies i think i looked up mm -hmm. the average tenure it's about four years and then you you talk about this company and i kind of hear like the the gratitude what are like the benefits that you found that made you stay there for 18 years yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing is the the um, the work that we've been doing. I think has been has been really interesting and and, and really uh, has has energized me. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, with people from lots of different uh, walks of life, uh, lots of different. You know, I've, I've uh, since we are based in Germany, I've had the chance to to travel to Germany and other other parts of the of the of the world to to work with different colleagues. Uh, the continuing to have a connection to the academic world. I have uh, lots of friends and colleagues at Carnegie Mellon University that we still do collaborations with. Uh, so having that opportunity to to have a foot in both the the academic research space and the corporate uh, technology, you know, uh, corporate research space, has been uh, has been really uh, just motivated, motivating, and and energizing for me. And uh, you know, it's having this. Uh, this theme of responsibility has has made me happy to to stay with Bosch and and comfortable that the work I'm doing is is being used for good and not for evil. So I mean that, that that's a that's a big uh, you know that's that's something we have to be increasingly aware of as as technology gets gets used in more and more things. Uh, you know that's that's something that's that's always in the back of my mind. Yeah, absolutely. 
So what, 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 how would you recommend someone who's interested in AI or Internet of Things or computer engineering or whatever, um, you know, how could they get started? Well, I mean, I think these days there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to kind of do it yourself, get technology, get access to technology yourself. Like when, when I was a kid, yeah, I had this, you know, this huge Apple IIe and, uh, and an old Atari 2600. That was, that was the, that was it for my computer experience. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot for me to, to look at or, or put my hands on. Nowadays, there's so much technology available that you can get access to. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not uh, there. The cost of getting that technology is is um, is I think reasonable for uh, you know for uh, younger people. So if you if you're interested in technology, I mean everyone now has a smartphone. Uh, I think uh, starting there, just just you know taking taking your smartphone out and using it to um, to see see what different things you can do with it. I mean, particularly for Android phones, you can you can download different apps to do programming languages on there. Things like a Raspberry Pi, uh, that those are those are things that are very uh, uh, available, and you can you can set those up and do uh, work. Uh, you know, starting with uh, just running um, Python, which is a scripting language that is used in a lot of AI uh, uh, systems, and you can run that on a Raspberry Pi. Do projects yourself. Uh, I really encourage uh, people to seek out programs for their kids. Like uh, my son did. A boys and girls club, a summer program this summer that focused on AI. So there, these, lots of these programs are available, and I, I think it's really important to get young kids interested in these things uh, as early as possible, and, and and make them aware of of how they can use technology. Because I think now kids kind of take technology for granted, like it, it's just always there. It's ubiquitous. Screens are everywhere. Like uh, if you told me when I was uh, ten years old that I could watch TV on a screen in my from in my pocket, or I could, you know, I <laughs> I could uh, talk, you know, I, vi video phones didn't have to be these giant things. You could everyone would carry them around uh, everywhere. I mean, th this is something that was completely alien to me as a kid. But now it, this is this is normal for every for everyone, and I think there's so much accessibility. But I think the important thing is that. Uh, people have to computer literacy is is really a requirement now not a it's not something that's optional you really you know beyond just just using the technology and, and having it available really take take the the opportunity to dig around in the technology poke around with it tinker with it and figure it out learn how it works and i think that'll put you on the path to uh, to really exploring this career i think uh, i i think every um Every technology field these days is has some computer technology uh, connected to it. So regardless as if, if you're into uh, you know chemistry, physics, uh, you know, electrical or you know mechanical engineering, architecture, all these uh, different fields are going to have a, as a baseline computer technology supporting it. And uh, I think uh, you can't go wrong with with getting uh, getting a uh, um, you know a, a base uh, level of understanding of all this technology. Yeah, it makes sense. So, what programs should companies implement to increase Black talent in technology? So, I mean, I I'm really uh, I, I again I would say reaching out to younger kids and and, and you know maybe start even starting at the the grade school level uh or high school level to get to, to have people mentor uh young students have them bring bring them in for internships uh that's i, I think that's something that's uh, that that companies should should really do if they if they want to encourage and and seek out black talent i think i mean uh, it's a one thing that i can think of that uh, as you know, coming coming from the um, uh, from the sports uh, field, like one of the things that happened in the NFL is that uh, they instituted the um, the Rooney Rule, and this was from uh, uh, actually the Pittsburgh Steelers, the you know the um, the the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, where uh, the rule is that you have to when you're interviewing positions, you have to uh, seek out you know a, a, some marginalized talent. So you know, making sure that you're you are putting you are actively recruiting and, and looking for. Uh, talent from non-traditional spaces, black spaces, indigenous spaces, uh, you know, people of color in general, women, uh, you know, LGBT. I think it's uh, um, 
it starts there where you you can't just say well these are the resumes i got and they just all happen to be white guys so i guess that's it you know <laughs> that you have to really you you have to really seek out uh and encourage people to uh, to apply and 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 you know create those opportunities cuz i mean this this is the this is kind of the chicken and egg problem is that you know if these opportunities have been historically denied to uh, to marginalized groups people of color in general for a long time and it's it's all there's already a lot of roadblocks put in place to getting those opportunities and if you if you don't actively work to break them break down those roadblocks they're just going to stay there just because of inertia so uh it's really i think it's really important and really uh tantamount for for everyone who's um who's in these fields to really reach back and and try to actively recruit and and seek out uh talent in in places that they don't normally look yeah yeah i always like to highlight it with you know i've had this career and i really love it and i want more people to be able to experience it because i i mm -hmm. think i just didn't say lucky but i i just feel very fortunate that my career is something that i i never met same as you when i when i started undergrad i didn't really know what i wanted to do i just wanted to know i needed to go to school next and then from there i would figure it out as I, I came along so not being able to imagine so now that i'm here i'm like oh you know more people should make this decision because it's it's really rewarding i think it's really um like it changes like like you said your 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 field has evolved over the years my field has evolved over the years so you're always just kind of interesting things always going on yeah definitely it's an interesting point you say more people should make the decision because some people aren't aware that decision is there. Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't reach out and let people know that that's an option, then they're going to go with what's familiar to them. Yeah. I mean, like I when I was like my 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 mom actually got her Ph.D. in psychology in the 80s when when I was a kid, I didn't really understand what she was doing. And she she went back after like she had been a, a teacher for a long time. And then she went back and got her Ph.D. Uh, I didn't I didn't really understand what that meant. I mean, I, re I remember like she was just uh, she was just really busy when I was little. So <laughs> like I didn't have a lot of time <laughs> with her because she was working on her, her dissertation. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, having a and when i when i was uh you know starting uh getting ready for to graduate high school and getting into college and the Meyerhoff program mentioned like the focus is on getting more african american phd's and you know at the time I, it, that wasn't really something that was on my radar even though my mom had a phd she was a psychologist i didn't really understand what that meant for you know for getting into technology like i knew i just knew i liked computers and technology i wanted to do something with that and the Meyerhoff program is what really opened my eyes as to what it meant to get a PhD. You know, you interact with people who already have their PhD, who are, you know, they show you what they're actually doing day to day, what it means to be a research scientist, what it means to to be in higher education. And yeah, if, if without that program, I don't think I would have had that same experience. And, and programs like that are what help, uh, you know, younger students open their eyes and, and and see that what the what opportunities are out there yeah everyone should have 10 minutes with dr Robowski to inspire <laughs> them to be their best selves that they can be definitely <laughs> okay so um where if people wanted to get in touch with you oh we didn't even talk about transmission <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about transmissions a little bit yeah, we we can. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I so I do. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's it's not all it's not all works. So I like to play too. I, mean, I, I already mentioned I, I started I started with video games. I mean, so that that was two of my passions uh, in the '80s as a kid were video games and transforming robots. Uh, so you know, that's uh, those two things shaped my childhood. And now as an adult, uh, I'm still playing video games. And I'm still playing with uh, with transforming robots. So um, I have a I have a podcast. It's called Transmissions. Uh, it's at transmissionspodcast.com. It's available on all the pl platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere. Uh, and yeah, we do it. We do two weekly shows all about transforming toys. So uh, I mean, Transformers in particular. So the Transformers 
the Autobots and Decepticons. Uh, there's new toys being produced now uh, for kids and adults. Uh, there's comic books. There's TV shows. There's a Netflix show that just came out uh, in the last year. There's a lot, another live action movie coming next year. Uh, so, uh, and this year was the, the 35th anniversary of the animated Transformers movie that I saw when I was 10 years old. Uh, the 25th anniversary of the Beast Wars, which was like one of the first computer animated cartoons in the 90s. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, Transformers is a big thing. It's, it is, uh, you know, it's driven by, uh, by toys. So, uh, you know, I think it gets, it's in the, in the, in the pantheon of, of nerd stuff, I guess it's, uh, it's not as high regard, highly regarded as Star Wars or Marvel just because the focus is on the toys, not necessarily on the, on the stories, but, uh, but there are great stories and and that's what kept me coming back to transformers uh within the comics and and tv shows and everything and then the toys are great too so toy uh, toys that are always two things in one at least two things in one because you can turn them from a robot to a car and a truck or plane or whatever do you have any Uh, hot takes on the michael bay films uh yeah i don't like my skin yeah i i yeah i am i am not a fan of the michael bay uh films yeah not my transformers yeah (laughs) but everything else is great (laughs) did you like the new bumble the bumblebee movie i did enjoy the bumblebee movie yeah uh yeah i mean i i felt like that was closer to what what i wanted in a transformers movie and i have uh i'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the the next movie that's coming out next year. That's a different director, and uh, it looks like they're they're hopefully doing different things, taking it in a different direction. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, sadly, the movies are are kind of what the zeitgeist has taken away from Transformers. Like the the you know, and yeah, that's kind of in my opinion the worst part of Transformers. But you know, well, you want to see more of the robots, and the Michael Bay movies is kind of yeah. not so. You don't really that's, get to know the robots, so that's that's my main complaint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how did you, how long have you been doing the, the the podcast? I've been doing the podcast for eight years. So yeah, this it's it's been uh, it's been a weekly show. So we've we haven't missed a week uh, in in eight years. So uh, pretty proud of that. But uh, it's been uh, it's it's been fun. It's something you know something that I can uh, I can. Uh, call my own but it's you know it's it's something that that gives me gives me a little bit of a a break in my in my downtime so have you gained anything skill wise or just anything you want to mention from doing the podcast so yeah i mean we've we've had the opportunity to interview a lot of uh a lot of people who've worked on different transformers properties so from voice actors to comic artists uh, to tv show producers and things so I've really developed skills as a podcaster from uh, working on the on the Transmissions podcast, uh, and that includes uh, just hosting a podcast, from doing interviews, talking to people, just doing a little bit of voice acting. <laughs> Try, you know. I saw you nothing, doing the not- reading of the of the <laughs> the Beast Wars uh, comic. Uh, yeah, very yeah, so- very fun. <laughs> So yeah, if 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 I could if I could have a second career, it would be podcasting. Although uh, it doesn't really pay very much these days. <laughs> Can you apply those skills to your day job? Because I, I so, would say yeah. I, yeah, I've been like involved in a lot of like what I call my side hustles, which is like involvement in employee resource groups. And I think mm-hmm. it, I was definitely very meek, maybe like just very kind of someone that kind of liked to fly under the radar. And I think through those other things my confidence got built up, which translated to my work and my daily life and then kind of helped helped my career project. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I would say that's definitely something that has impacted me being, uh, being more confident in terms of, of speaking and, and, uh, and, and doing, uh, you know, different kind of internal corporate advertising or things like that. Like, uh, uh, a lot, since my colleagues know that I do a podcast, uh, a lot of the times they come to me and say, hey, we're, we're doing like a, you know, a demonstration video. We need a, a voice to, you know, to uh, do some overlay for this video. Can you, can you do this voice? Can you, uh, you know, read this and, and punch it up a little bit? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to do that. So, yeah, sometimes I become the voice of, uh, of some of our research projects, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. 
I just like the idea of just a bunch of big kids, um, you know, having conversations about toys and transfer. <laughs> when I look, I was like, this looks like fun. I need to, I'm definitely going to tune in to hear what you guys are talking about and tell my husband about it because he's a fellow big, uh, big kid. We enjoy all of, all oh, that's of that great. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely tell all your friends to listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just watching the video with the the voice of Megatron, the new voice of Optimus Prime. Um, just every time he went into character, I was like, oh my God, it's like he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the heat check. I feel like we need like a yeah, sweet. I was just thinking that. <laughs> Charles, we are learning as we're going. I know that you have been here and every week we come up with some, oh, we need to do that and we need to do this. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Music for the heat check. <laughs> heat check time. Um, so this is where we shout out something that's exciting us or interesting us in peaking our interest or whatever. We got that's what right. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's been going on in technology or black culture. So Charles, can you go first? Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, this was something that uh, we've been talking about AI and uh, and how that's kind of permeating everything uh, and these days in, in you know the culture and technology. Uh, so recently, Google just announced their latest uh, Pixel phones, so the Pixel Six and the Pixel Six Pro. Uh, and part as part of that launch, they introduced this uh, new technology called Real Tone, which is particularly for improving their photography, so that they can capture all different skin tones and provide uh, good pictures for uh, all different types of skin tones. And they, um, I watched their, uh, their initial introduction video for this, uh, particularly, I mean, it was, I was struck by the fact that they, they called out, they said, yes, um, there has been photography has had a bias uh, towards light skin uh, since it was in, since it was started. I mean, the fact that, that uh, they openly said that and, and made that clear, I think is, is already a step forward, but uh, they, they took it further with, uh, particularly getting uh, a lot of uh, black artists and photographers in the space and helping and using them to help uh, take take lots more pictures to improve their um, their image and facial recognition system to make uh, their their cameras a lot more uh, responsive and 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 useful for people of color. So I thought that was really interesting, really uh, uh, you know a great move for uh, for te a technology company like Google. Um, but of course, you know. Corporations are uh, are giant things that are capable of both good and bad. So I, I contrast this this real this real tone initiative with the also recent uh, ouster of uh, Timnet Gibro, who was a um, a, a black female uh, expert in AI research who was working for Google until the end of last year, when over a dispute of a over a paper that she was publishing. Uh, with other colleagues and with academic, uh, uh, with uh, with other colleagues in the academic space, there there was some internal um, strife within Google that actually, uh, and, and they kind of forced her out because her paper was critical of some of their larger, the larger language models that were being used by Google and other companies because uh, they, you know, they see that the the space of the data is so huge that you're not really sure, you can't be sure what data is in there and how. You know, there, there will, there could be unconscious biases in that data that will then affect your algorithms uh, as they're developed. And uh, you know, she was critical of that. She, her paper was, uh, um, was, was focusing on that. And uh, of course, Google says that uh, the paper didn't meet their standards for publication. There are a lot of criticisms to that in terms of, you know, well, it, it appears these standards didn't really exist for other publications uh, that that Google has. You know, the other researchers at Google say, well. Really, the only focus from internally from Google was whether or not there was any proprietary technology in a paper before it was published, and then the review, the external review process uh, deals with the quality of the work. You know, this this just kind of makes it clear that uh, in terms of AI and uh, and what's happening with uh, with equitable AI and making sure that AI is is ethically developed and maintained, uh, there's a lot of work to do. I mean. Uh, uh, we can we can applaud Google for taking strides and, and trying to uh, and trying to make things more equitable, but we should also take them to task for uh, not uh, allowing uh, critical voices to stay within their company and make sure that they that 
they are uh, listening to those voices and and being good corporate citizens. So uh, I think this is this is just a shows the 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 upside and the downside of of all the technologies that are advancing today, and we need to be careful uh, as those technologies continue to to uh, permeate throughout uh, throughout our society. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other point which surprised me, but maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, is the the carbon footprint to do the, all that processing. I think yeah. there was a table in that article about, you know, one car is like this much, but then computing all this was like, the bar was like this long. It was yeah. a lot. And it also reminded me, I was at a the Grace Hopper conference a few years ago where they were talking about how they have to innovate ways to keep these cloud centers where all these servers are cool because I mean, it's just generating, you know, it's using all this energy and we just kind of don't think about, you know, all the, you know, all these cloud products we're using, everything we're using, there's, you know, there's a server farm somewhere that's just like sucking out, uh, you know, our resources and we should be aware of that. So, um, yeah, that was another interesting thing that, that had brought to light. Along with that, my heat check today is Facebook is... Oh, you stole mine. I know where this is going. <laughs> I'm walking away. No, no. Why don't you do this one? Because I, I have a backup one. You want to go oh, ahead? You, yeah. They're uh, <laughs> disabling their um, facial recognition science, right? And, and they're deleting the data of the a billion users, which if you look me up on Facebook, you'll actually find that I only have one photo, and it's me as a five-year-old eating cereal. And I deleted all my photos for that exact reason. And people are like, you're crazy. And I'm just like, no, they're doing this in the background. And you guys are just not aware of it. That's a little bit of my paranoia. But it, I, I look more into it. And when they started in 2010, you it automatically went. And it wasn't until 2019 that you could opt in. And I, it's kind of like weird that it's a, a week after they started their rebranding. I think it's just the whole ethical corporate citizens i just don't buy it the yeah. <laughs> the whole rebrand has some strategy behind it i, oh, I absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i mean we've, we've already like they've already been, had some whistleblowers about how they're they're in, they were internally adjusting their algorithms to make uh, you know to increase engagement but also increase anger from from their yes. uh, from their users so if any yeah. if no one has watched that netflix documentary the social dilemma it is so mind blowing of how that the whole algorithm and the people behind like it's it was just it's like shutting down everything on social media forever. But you can't actually delete your your Facebook account. You can like disable it or something. Mm, yeah. but you can't you can't actually delete it. So oh, and speaking of the facial recognition and like the the pictures of black and brown people, it talked about how it misidentifies black and brown faces at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He- insert heavy eye roll on that one. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is kind of like another thing, and, and yeah, it's just one of those things that everybody is using. You know, some people are like Matthew are, are very conscientious of, of it, but a lot of people are just using it and not realizing that they're they're pulling all that information. There's a you know, they've got it in a database and they're using that information for things that we don't know. And the the thing with that is like Facebook and WhatsApp, if in other countries, like especially in Guinea, that's their news, that's how they communicate, that's all they have. Like they get a smartphone. It automatically comes with fa- uh, WhatsApp and Facebook installed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they, yeah. What are what are the options, right? In order to yeah, Sierra, you want me to do my backup, or you or do you want to go next? I it doesn't matter. Okay, I'll save you for last. <laughs> so my backup is um, I read uh, it's twenty things I've learned in my twenty years as a software engineer by Justin Etheridge, and so there's a nice, cute little. Um, Things, I shouldn't say cute, but things that when you're new to the field, maybe stress you out. But when you're kind of older and wiser, you're just kind of like, yeah, it'll be fine. So um, I won't read all 20, but let me find the ones that spoke to me. Every system eventually sucks. Get over it. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you want to build the perfect system or you like to complain about things you don't like. You really need to think about the history of that because I've definitely worked on things that are kind of like older and like 
they're still used today. And people are like, why is it like this? Why can't we do things? I was like, well, you know, this was originally designed to do this and it was really good at that. Um, but over the years, we've had to adapt it for other things. And so it's not so good at those things because no one was thinking about that. So that's kind of like, eh, that's one of the ones I like. Um, <laughs> so the other one is a software as a means to an end. So um, always relate back to why am I building the system, right? It's not to have the quintessential perfect system with the best design that goes with it. You're, you're, it's, it's there to fulfill some sort of business need. And so try to think of, okay, what, who are the users? Are we doing the thing that's best for the users? And don't stress out too much about, um, you know, just the minutia detail because, you know, once things get, once things get, you have a perfect idea of how you want to architect the system and you kind of go down that lane, but then you start, users start using the system and maybe their idea is a little different. They're using it in a way that you maybe weren't expecting. And it's, sometimes it's hard to switch to pivot and be like, okay, I wanted to build this, but actually this is, this is where it's found its audience or the people that want to use it. So being able to kind of let that go and just be like, okay, let's, let's let it evolve naturally into where it needs to go. That sounds like you with um, moving to Yammer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Calling you out on that. <laughs> I'm not ready. Give me a couple weeks. I just need to. <laughs> no worries. Take your time. <laughs> All right, Sierra. All right. So my heat check for this week um, is a little different than what you guys were talking about earlier. But, uh, last week, I was able to attend a few sessions of the um, Adobe Max conference. So it's a big a conference for content creators and educators in the artistic space. And so I've mentioned before that I'm kind of self-teaching myself the Adobe Creative Suite. And so they talked about a bunch of new features and um, things that are coming out for their products. But I was able to listen in to a session where they were talking about um, this new trend for artists being able to certify and catalog their work. And so with a previous guest we've talked to on Interface, we were talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And so now artists are using what they're calling um, NFTs. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. It's a unique unit of data stored on the blockchain, which I learned that about uh, Bitcoin conversation, mm -hmm. um, that certifies a digital asset to be one of a kind. So as you know, you know, think about the Mona Lisa. There's so many people who have recreated that piece of art, but it took many, many years for Leonardo DiCaprio to basically put his name out there and say, Leonardo you know, DiCaprio? I'm, did I say Leonardo? Oh my <laughs> <You did>. God. <laughs> yes, Leonardo DiCaprio, the very famous artist who painted the Mona Lisa many, many years ago. Leonardo da Vinci, my apologies. Um, <laughs> Um, but imagine how many years it took him, you know, of doing this work for him to be able to, you know, put his name in, in stone and have this very famous piece of artwork. Well, now new emerging artists or artists who have been in the industry for a very long time, they're now able to certify their work, be paid what they deserve to be paid. Their work can't be stolen and reused and monetized without their consent now with these NFTs. And so it's a group of, you know, collectors are using these NFTs to be able to pay artists um, for their artwork. And there's a company, um, I found this article on this a site called Worth. And so it's a company who's coming out with a, a new form of the NFT and it's called Blue NFTs. And basically it's um, being able to have the fine art authentication for folks to use. And so it was an interesting article um, and it played well with that that session that I listened to um, on Adobe and so for creators and I know for things that you know we do outside my side hustle is creating um, different things for for other people and being able to say yo this is my work um, if you want to use it please come and ask me for it and and pay me pay me my fee <laughs> to use it I, I I do uh I've I've looked a little bit into NFTs as well. I would say 
Um, I think that's that's the positive way to use NFTs. I do see them also being used for evil too, <laughs> like in terms of just being just people trying to market and sell NFTs as a thing that you can buy to say that you own that artwork when you don't actually own it. Like if like as a creator, you can say, okay, I've created this NFT that represents my work. So you know if you uh, you know if you're not access, accessing this work with you know via this NFT, this is this is not authentic. But there are people who are trying to create like a, a marketplace for buying and selling just the NFT itself, uh, which I think is kind of ludicrous. Like th this, this, NF this NFT doesn't give you the rights to the original artwork or original right. creation. It's just um, a, an, you know, like a certificate of authentication. So it'd be like if you if you had like a really rare comic book. And uh, the, you got the comic book certified and they give you the certificate on, of authentication and then you just sell the certificate. You don't sell the, you keep the comic book, but you sell the certificate and people, and people take the certificate and say, Hey, I got the certificate, but do you actually own the comic book? Right. No, you don't. Yeah. So, so that, so yeah. So there's always this NFTs. tug of war. Yeah. It's always <laughs> this tug of war between using these new technologies for good. Um, to yeah. really help people and then others who are just looking to take advantage there will always be those folks yeah. out there absolutely so yeah i will will share the link to that um, particular article in the show notes for this episode um, yeah along with everyone else's heat check yes yes so uh charles um you'll can you share your um one more time how can people get in contact with you or or watch transmissions <laughs> Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if uh, if you're interested in, in interacting with me, I'm I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't I'm not a huge social media guy like I don't post very frequently, but uh, you can you can uh, contact me on Twitter at at CP Shelton. So it's pretty easy. My middle name, my middle name is Preston. So CP Shelton. That's it. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I mean, uh, I don't really use Facebook much very much anymore. So don't Meta. bother. But yeah <laughs> uh i'm i'm also on linkedin um and, you know if you just search for my name on linkedin you'll find me there um uh, for transmissions the podcast is transmissionspodcast.com we are all on all the social media platforms so we have a youtube channel we have twitter facebook instagram all those things to you know and those those are all linked from the website so uh, you can get access to all our podcasts there uh, you you can also subscribe subscribe to the podcast on all the platforms uh, like I mentioned already Google Apple Spotify Amazon I think Facebook now has a podcast platform too so um, of course they do <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah so I mean you can you can listen to us anywhere uh, yeah if, if you're a fan of Transformers uh, take a listen see what you think um, yeah I mean I, I always worry that it's it's uh, it's very niche so. <laughs> If it doesn't immediately grab you, it's it's okay. Uh, if it, it you know if you want to listen to something else, but yeah, we we are hardcore Transformers fans, and that and that's our focus. So um, we do do like every episode, we do a video where we show off some of the toys we got that week. So that could be fun. Uh, so you can look that you can look at that on our YouTube channel. Uh, so that's you know the um, fun segment we do every week. Uh, but a lot of it is yeah discussing uh, the latest toys and latest. Uh, media comics you know movies and all that stuff so this is what we uh, should have pulled your wife in on and get her take <laughs> on transmissions <laughs> and all of your video gaming and playing with toys <laughs> she tolerates it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah well, i mean she's she's actually i mean so uh if i can if i can brag about my wife she has she's not interested in transformers at all but she has really uh, she's knows that I have an interest in it and she has worked hard to make sure that um, she uh, she supports my interests and, and does things like get me special gifts that that recognize my interest. So like this, uh, this artwork here that uh, is right above me, this is this mm -hmm. is a, an Optimus Prime drawing done by a comic artist. His name is Livio Ramondelli. My wife uh, commissioned the artist to do that artwork for me oh, wow. uh, for a Christmas present last year. Oh, uh, I love that. That is so yeah, sweet. It was, it was a total surprise. So I, I really appreciate how much uh, she supports me, even though she doesn't really understand it. So 
<laughs> Brag on your wife, Charles. Yeah, I that's like beautiful. It. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, really had a great time. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at Interface Podcasts at, at pros.com. Took me a second to think about that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we're on, really, <laughs> we're on LinkedIn. You can reach each of us and I'll put all this information in the show notes so you'll see that. And pretty soon we'll be able to say you can find us on all of the podcasting yeah, we're, we're just waiting. We're very close. <laughs> we're very close. Definitely going to be a... You're going to see me on social media on that day. That's, that's all I can <laughs> yes. say. You're like, Jennifer is still talking about what episodes she covers. Like, yes. Uh, but please, uh, I hope if you enjoyed this conversation, please go out and have your own conversations. Reach out, learn more about AI, learn more about Transformers or whatever it is that excites you. Thank you all. Thank you, listeners. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Boom. <laughs>